Hi there, this is Society Owes Me a Gen X podcast, and I am Lily, and this is Hannah. Hello. And tonight is Hannah's night, and you have something uh, cooked up for us tonight, Hannah, do you, as as you is for... I certainly do. Are we all plugged in? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What we're going to cover today is unplugged, though. Boom! <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'm going to just get the link from last week's episode out of the way from the start. So you covered the wonderful Fiona Apple's uh, title debut album. Um, Fiona Apple has done an MTV Unplugged. Um, I think it was in 1997. Uh, yes, that That's is quite an easy one then. Correct. <laughs> I was like, oh. Tick. <laughs> <laughs> and she covered Shadowboxer, Sleepstream, Criminal, and Angel. I'm not going to play any of those, though, because tonight is I'm your going night. to cover <laughs> a particular Unplugged. Okay? I'm going to do MTV's Unplugged in New York, Nirvana. Whoop, whoop. Round of applause, please. The crowd goes wild. Actually, I was trying to find another link um, between Fiona Apple and Nirvana, um, and I didn't find anything, although I did find um, a few mislabeled videos on YouTube. If you search for Across the Universe, Nirvana, as in the Beatles Across the Universe that Fiona Apple and Rufus Wainwright covered, that we yeah. talked about in previous podcasts, um, there are a few videos um, that label... It is being a Kurt Cobain cover. And it turns out it's actually a Seether, the band Seether, covering Across the Universe. Um, Yeah, and some amusing comments by people that think it's Kurt Cobain sounding really strange. Yeah, Yeah, she's right, it sounds strange, it's not him. Anyway, uh, okay, so this is about a girl off Bleach, which we've already covered in Beat of Bangers. So I'm not going to talk about any of the songs in terms of like the content of the songs and the history of the songs that we've already covered in previous episodes. Right. I'm going to focus um, on the MTV Unplugged specific stuff and the, the covers that they included. So, about a girl. This version features Pat Smear on second guitar. It was released as a single in October 1994 to promote the Unplugged album. It was the only commercial single that they released. Um, and the B-side of it was the Unplugged version of Something in the Way which we will come to later. Um, So you might remember Kurt introduces this as being off our first record, most people don't own it. Did you own it at the time? I did, actually. Weirdly, I did. It's not weird. You're an Arvada family. I didn't really love it, though, is the truth of the matter at the time. The original one. Yeah. I have to admit that I was, like, excited to get it, then I was like, meh. Um, I know. I'm just being honest. Of oh, course, I don't think that now. I was a, a foolish young person. <laughs> uh, do you prefer this version of it? More, I think of, so. Mournful. Yeah. I think it. Yeah, I think it works. Okay. So uh, a little bit of um, background on MTV Unplugged. So this was recorded at the Sony Music Studios in New York City on November the 18th, 1993. 
It was directed by Beth McCarthy, who also um, directed Saturday Night Live and 30 Rock, amongst lots of other things. Oh, I love 30 Rock. How much money would you give now, Hannah, to travel back in time and be there? <laughs> well, what, be at this or be yeah. on 30 Rock? Oh, yeah. Yeah, everything no, not <laughs> Oh, absolutely. God, it would have been incredible. Yeah, so it was, it was mainly friends and family and fan club members, but really intimate setting See, oh. I'm surprised you weren't there really you were so good at joining fan clubs I know I wasn't in the I don't I must have not realised that there was a Nirvana fan club which is weird because I was in the whole fan club yeah. in um, all the fan clubs I mean I was wanted to join fan clubs but I always fell down on that kind of poster order moment where I was like oh it's not going to happen then <laughs> yeah no, there's no easier way to do this yeah for a lot of them you had to send off like a stamped address envelope and stuff as well in fact I remember doing that for um, Hole did a uh, an offer for a, a hair clip. It was like a sparkly hair clip, and I'm oh, pretty yeah. sure I had to send an SAE off as well and got it back. And I really regret not having that hair a clip. Postal order. What happened to it? They even do postal orders. No, it was a, a, a stamp stressed envelope. I don't think a postal order. I think it was free if you were a member of the fan club. You just had to send off. It sounds sound like calling. It sounds a bit crazy actually now <laughs> I think about it. Maybe I've totally made it up in my head. I definitely had the like, hair clip. Send though. fifty pounds. <laughs> In, in an envelope <laughs> addressed That's to Courtney or Holt. It's a lovely hair clip. I think I broke it. Anyway, um, okay, so this is Come As You Are. Uh, obviously, originally off, never mind. It was the only contemporary hit that they included in the Unplugged set. Um, they rehearsed for two days, apparently, before this, and there were very tense rehearsals, and Kurt disagreed with MTV producers Um and one of the producers, Alex Coletti, said that MTV was unhappy with the lack of lack of hits and the choice of uh, the meat puppets who will come to as guests. Apparently they wanted to hear the right names. For example, Eddie Vedder or Tori Amos or God knows who. Mm. Uh, anyway, so... Meat puppets are a brilliant band, though. Oh, absolutely are. Just wait for it. We will come to them. Uh, but first, yeah, so it was produced by... Um, who did I say it was produced by? Directed by Beth, Beth McCarthy. And then it was produced by Scott Lipp. So there we go. Another REM link in there straight away. She's not related to Jenny McCarthy. <laughs> not on that one. Oh, it might be. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, of course, Scott Lipp had already worked with him on In Utero and longtime um, associate of REM. It's... REM, did you say? Of course. Uh, Do you want to talk about REM some more? No, I just wondered when Marlowe's popping up. <laughs> <laughs> Weave it in Can I put somewhere. up that picture on our Instagram? Oh, oh yes, please do. All roads lead to Marlow. So funny. Yes, whilst whilst Lily was driving through my old stomping ground of Marlow, I was driving through her old stomping ground of sea. <laughs> Somewhere. Hey, the clips. very nice. Anyway, back to Nevada. <laughs> okay. So, what else can I tell you? So it aired on MTV in December 1993 and was released as an album on November 1st, 1994. So um, to meet demand for new Nirvana material and to counter bootlegging, in August 1994, DGC announced that it was going to release something called Verse, Chorus, Verse, which was going to be a double album of live performances, including the whole of the Unplugged show. 
but it turned out that compiling the compiling the album was too emotionally difficult for Dave and Chris, so the project was cancelled and they just released the unplug. Emotionally difficult. I mean, Claire just died. Ah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't putting myself in. That's right. That's a month after. Good yeah. point. <laughs> so I was like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, can I officially retract? Edit out, edit out. Yes, you know we won't. It was what? It was like editing. It was what was it? Six, seven, seven months before Kurt died. So it's you know kind of considered his swan song, really, isn't it? Yes, I I apologise unreservedly for any unintentional things to David Cross. Right. Okay. So. we are going to hear Jesus Doesn't Want Me For A Son theme next. Um, but whilst the, uh, the rapture of applause continues, I'll tell you a bit more. Um, so MTV Unplugged began in 1989 with artists performing their hits in intimate settings, acoustically. Oh, yeah. So you almost, it's like no one knew what Unplugged was before... Pearl Jam and Nirvana did it kind of thing. Didn't a few kind of white strange acts do it, do it and I wasn't even aware of it. Wow. Well, I have got this huge vision. list here, which um, oh, for the benefit Lord. of the listeners is, is two pages of very, very small text. That, that, is, that is a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, it first started in 1989 and some of the first uh, acts were Squeeze. So you like a bit of Squeeze, Love don't you? Squeeze. So, Squeeze, Sid Straw and Elliot Easton uh, in October 1989, followed by the Smithereens, 10,000 Maniacs. Mm, my husband loves him. Uh, the Alarm, Joe Walsh. Joe yeah, Walsh! In the first year. Oh my God, I love Joe Walsh. I'd love and to see that. A bit later, 1990, Stevie Ray Vaughan. You can't get those though, can you? Sinead O'Connor. It's like they weren't recorded or something, like oh, yeah. visually. Yeah, so I was like, oh, I got so excited when I saw the entire list and thought, I mean, you could easily do a podcast that would go for years <laughs> that's genius just why are we doing that <laughs> okay anyway we need we need an in at mtv to get to get these tapes right okay stick on the ceiling just clearly <laughs> tapes at this point right okay so yes nirvana have been in negotiations for a while apparently with mtv unplugged and kurt finally accepted whilst touring with the meat puppets but they wanted to do something different from the regular unplugged shows and Dave Grohl later explained, and I quote, he said, we'd seen the other unplugs and didn't like many of them. Because Ouch. most bands would treat them like rock shows, play their hits like it was Madison Square Garden, except with acoustic guitars. Think he was talking about Pearl Jam at all? Hmm. Maybe a bit of Soul Asylum? They did an unplug too. Who knows? But anyway, they did end up doing something pretty radically different from what had come before. I can't think of anyone that did that. Oh, here's my list. I'm a peruse. No, but who do you think they were talking about? Uh, everyone that came before them. Didn't like Bon Jovi do one? Mm. Or am I just yeah, making that so. up? <laughs> I feel like they might have. I have not watched it, but I'm sure they I did like, like it. Madison Square yeah. Garden Rock show. Anyway, so um, a large part of the inspiration for doing it um, the way that they did was Mark Lanigan and his 1990 album, The Winding Sheet. Oh, I remember so, this. Yeah. I'll play you a little bit further down. Um, but yeah, so as a result of looking at Mark Lanigan's work, they decided to include um, 
some of them sort of lesser known material and various covers. So covers of the Vaselines, like this song here, uh, David Bowie, Lead Belly and the Meat Puppets. And apparently the idea of a completely acoustic show made Kurt quite nervous. So um, this actually, I think it was the first one, the first MTV Unplugged that wasn't actually entirely acoustic. They did use electric amplification and guitar effects, hmm. uh, which again, I'll talk about in a bit more detail in a bit. Um, but what I think is really quite impressive is that it was filmed in a single take as well. They did some rehearsals, but the whole thing was filmed in a single take, which was quite rare as I understand it. Have. Right, um, so Jesus doesn't want me for a sun, sunbeam. Do you, reckon, um, do you reckon Kurt probably just said, listen, I'm only doing this the one time, so get ready. <laughs> probably. When I'm done, I'm leaving. Probably, yeah. Um, he doesn't look like he's having that much fun throughout it. Like when you compare it to like the Pearl Jam performance, for example. I don't know. Yeah, I, th I feel like it takes a very certain person to be comfortable in that situation anyway. Yeah. And for all of them, you know, enjoying it is like the last thing they want people to feel like they're doing at that time, you know? Yeah. It's like almost it's a dirty concept. Just feel quite... Oh, yeah, do you love fun. being famous? Do you love the attention? Yeah. You know, oh, are you a rock star? You know, like... Yeah, but it was so... We forget how fucking uncool it was. To like enjoy anything in the 90s, yeah, especially in the early 90s. It's like, oh, this is rubbish. <laughs> right, I'm now gonna um, move away from Nirvana. Oh, wow. Kurt's introducing the next one. Okay, so, remember in the 90s, you'd go to right. a gig and all you had to do is stand there and look really unimpressed. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was shit. <laughs> Tenor, I'll oh, never see again. Oh, <laughs> mosh your life away. Yeah, anyway, so this is um, the Vaseline. So, this is what. Um, Kurt is covering. So let me tell you a bit about the Vaseline. Um, indie pop band from Glasgow, formed in 1986. They're originally a duo formed by Eugene Kelly and Francis McKee. So we have mentioned Francis McKee in one of our previous Nirvana episodes. Um, uh, it must have been the Inutera one, I think, because we talked about how Francis Bean was not, in fact, apparently named after Francis Farmer, the song. The actress, um, but by Francis McKee of the Vaseline's because Kurt was such a massive fan. So, anyway, it was originally Eugene Kelly, Francis McKee, uh, and a drum machine, and later they added James Seaman and Eugene's brother Charlie Kelly, which makes me laugh because Charlie Kelly is my favorite character out of the in Philadelphia. <laughs> it's my other hall pass. <laughs> so, <can't> <laughs> so, if you're out there, young man, <laughs> not that Charlie Kelly, a podcaster from the um, south of England is. Um, is awaiting your arrival. <laughs> and uh, you can walk right into her living room and sit on her lap because apparently it's okay. <laughs> I would love to see either of your faces if either one of you ever met a whole pass and just watch as it just crumbles. <laughs> In fact, didn't you have that situation? Or are we not talking yeah, we about that? Talk about it. You can listen to M, right. M for Madonna, Manix and Mark Morris. Okay. All my upcoming episode <laughs> with uh, Matt Latham and Pickadisc, actually, where I recount the oh, story. Oh, yeah. When's that coming out? Oh, I think next week, actually. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. <clears throat> Don't listen to it. I'm just... Yes, everyone listen to it. Anyway. Um, 
Uh, where was I? Where was I? Uh, I'll give you a second because I'm eating these cheese footballs because England. They're great. And I thought that yeah, they're not cheesy, they're bacon -y. They're like bacon fries in football form. Cheeto cheese footballs that actually taste like bacon. Does it say cheese in the Dare basket? I say get in? Very good. Go! Wash down with some Hendrix Luna Gin. Oh, yeah, we're trying out the Luna Gin. Hannah's um, slept over here. It's interesting. We're on the fence, which is unlike us. I think it's because of my cheek tonic, I think. We'll see. I'm trying the London Essence with it. It's uh, bitter orange and elderflower. It's good. Yeah. Pretty dry. Any gin people ever wanted to sponsor us, you know. We're here for that. The gin interlude has ended. Back to the raffle. Right, uh, where was I? Right, so, first and key. So, Kurt liked a lot of, like, Scottish indie pop bands. So, Francis so and McKee had also been in a band called Pretty Flowers with Douglas T. Stewart, who was a, in the BMX Bandits, who Kurt also talks about being a big fan of, and Norman Blake from Teenage Fan Club, who I think we've mentioned quite a few times on this podcast as well, which is weird, considering yeah. neither of us are really Teenage Fan Club fans. But Although I did see Teenage Fan Club when they were... Support act for Pardon. Actually, it was Neil Young. Book T in the MGs. Back in Finsbury Park, 94. Okay, done. Oh, okay. that's coming up actually. I'm gonna take a picky of my um my you ticket stub. Has it been a year already since I'm July? I'm pretty sure that? it's July. Yeah. God, I think I'm just do it every single depressing. year. Just put it up every year. <laughs> anyway, my point about that was uh, what was my point? That Kelly, Eugene Kelly, not Charlie Kelly. Uh, was considered for the second guitarist role before Pat Smith went up mm. doing it. Um, yeah, so that was the Vaseline's original, which um, I thought I'd play you. Do you do you, did you enjoy that? Do you, Not really. You a fan? Oh, okay. Do you? Fair enough. Yeah, I do. Quite yeah. like a bit of the Vaseline's actually. I mean, I'm not with him with the Vaseline's. Like I said, the Meat Puppets, a hundred percent. Bowie, we'll come to that. Hold that. Hold that thought. Um, but, but yeah, on the Nirvana version, uh, they switch things up a bit. They've got Dave on bass. Can I call him Dave? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all day. Dave. Dave. Grohl, not Perna this time. No, I, I used to love it when Mark and Lard called David Bowie, Dave Bowie. Dave Bowie. <laughs> That's one of my favourite things about the show, whenever they said Dave Bowie. <laughs> so Dave on bass and Chris on accordion. Right, what have we got next? Ah, okay, Dave Bowie, speak of the devil. Dave Bowie. Who doesn't love David Bowie? Actually, my husband. Actually, I'll tell you who doesn't. <laughs> um, you, you listen to um, uh, We Dig Music, and Tracy of We Dig Music doesn't like David Bowie, I think. Really? Is that right? No, maybe I've got that wrong. Well, you're going to hear about it if you got it wrong. I'm just Tracy and I've got that wrong. I have been listening. Right, okay, so... Kirk Brain liked a bit of David Bowie. <laughs> not David Bowie. Where am I going? Love um, him. Oh, no, it's because I haven't finished with the Vaseline's yet. What's more Vaseline's facts I didn't tell you? Let's, um, let's tell you about those first. So, the Sunbeam song, Jesus Don't Want Me For A Sunbeam. It was originally called Jesus Wants Me For A Sunbeam, Vaseline's version was, even though they do actually say don't or doesn't in their version as well. But it was uh, a parody of, of the Christian kids' hymn, I'll Be a Sunbeam. Um, 
and it originally came out on their EP Dying For It and then was re-released in 1992 on a sub-pop compilation The Way of the Vaseline, A Complete History and all the stuff and more. And yeah, Kurt was a massive Vaseline fan because you'll know that Molly Zix and Son of a Gun, often test aside, were also Vaseline's covers. So, you know, what a massive compliment to pay a band. And then Kelly, Eugene, not Charlie, uh, went on to found a band called Captain America, which he later had to rename Eugenius because Marvel Comics um, sent him legal threats and supported Nirvana on their UK tour. And then in 1991 at the Reading Festival, uh, Kelly joined Nirvana on stage to perform Molly's Lips. It was on Incesticide. And I've got a nice little quote from you here. He said, I've never made any money apart from my Nirvana royalties. It was my tiny bit of rock and roll history, but a strange feeling because by then I was striving for recognition with other bands. I still haven't come to terms with it, although it allowed me to go on playing and get a mortgage without having a job. How weird must that be? The dream. Right there. <laughs> and then final Vaseline's link, or fact, uh, the Vaseline's covered Lithium, for Spin Magazine's Newer Mind, which is a, uh, it's basically Nevermind, but performed by different artists. And I will refer to that uh, a couple more times during this. Right, sorry, back to Dave Bowie. Dave Bowie. <laughs> so remember at the beginning of this song, he says, uh, I'll screw this one up. But I don't think it does. <laughs> Nailed it. So yeah, uh, I mentioned before that they did uh, use an amplifier. So there's a fake box, um, so sorry, they did use, um, it wasn't completely acoustic, so there's a fake box in front of the amplifier that, um, uh, that, it's just, that they put there to basically disguise it as a monitor wedge. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Coletti, the producer that I mentioned before, said that it was Kurt's security blanket. He was used to hearing the guitar through his fender. He wanted those effects. It's an acoustic guitar, but he's obviously going through an amp. And you can really hear it in the song there. Yeah. I don't know if it would have worked otherwise. I mean, given the Nirvana flavour added over it, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily have got that, didn't you? Well, I think that's not that I know anything about guitars or anything. I guess that's what Kurt was worried about. So, precisely that. So, here we've got Dave's original version. Hey, Bowen. So, um, in his journals. Okay. There's Dave. Which version do you prefer? I mean, they're pretty... Like, it's... It's a trick like question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's... N I'm just not comparing them. Do you know what I mean? In that way. Like, it's... The Nirvana version is fantastic. Good no, I, I do prefer them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So in his journals, Kurt ranked um, the album The Man Who Sold the World number 45 in his top fave 50 albums. And he and Christopher Selleck were introduced to this album by Chad Chang, oh. one of their previous drummers. So he had it on vinyl, I think, and taped it for them, which was nice of him. And Kurt particularly loved the title track. Uh, apparently he was surprised to learn that it was by Bowie. Um, mm. And yeah, I don't think at the time it was like one of his, you know, most important songs. It was kind of considered a, an outtake by MTV standards, apparently. The only reason I had a lot of, I heard a lot of Bowie in, in the early 90s is because my brother got into Bowie 
hard. Oh, really? And loved him. And I think he even had, he was buying vinyl and just all in with it, you know, biographies and just everything, Bowie, everything. He was crazy about him. Did that come from his first love is well? David Bowie. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. I mean, not that my dad doesn't like David Bowie, but he wasn't like a huge fan. Yeah. My brother was, yeah, absolutely crazy for Bowie. Good oh. So it was released as a promotion, uh, promotional single in 1995, and it peaked at number three on MTV's most played videos in February 1995. Would you like to know what Bowie thought about the Nirvana version? I bet he said it was bloody brilliant. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. He said he was simply blown away. He said, I was simply blown away when I find out that Kurt Cobain liked my work and I've always wanted to talk to him about his reasons for covering the man who sold the world. Uh, and he said, it was a good, straightforward rendition and sounded somehow very honest. It would have been nice to have worked with him, but just talking with him would have been real cool. I mean, how real cool is that, you know, for a megastar to, you. <laughs> yeah, to say about another megastar? Uh, he also called it heartfelt. And he said that until this, it hadn't occurred to me that I was part of America's musical landscape. Come oh, come on, on nice. <laughs> That's a lie. He said, I always felt my weight in Europe, but not in the US. And then, my favourite fact, apparently later, when he, you know, when, when he performed his own song himself, kids would come up to him and say, it's cool you're doing a Nirvana song. <laughs> and he'd say, fuck you, you little tosser. Yeah, the <laughs> ultimate insult. No one knows who you are. <laughs> Well, apart from being a sort of a saddle footnote at the end of Nevada Unplugged. <laughs> that's only a, that's a, that's a very, very particular generation. But and you could see how probably today people would be like, yeah, who's still going? Yeah, you think? You yeah. wrote that Nirvana song? Really? But also, who's Nirvana? Amazing. No, people. Not my kids, they know. <laughs> no, but that you've definitely hothoused them. But I've asked teenagers who don't have parents that were you know, putting them in Nirvana t-shirts <laughs> two yeah. years old and playing it in the car and stuff. And they don't, like, they've never heard of Pearl Jam and they don't know, you know, this, that and the other, but they, they always know Nirvana. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. It's probably got something to do with They couldn't name H&M. a track necessarily, but they know who Nirvana is. H&M producing the Well, by that same token, they'd know who the Ramones are and they don't. That's true. Joy Division. Lots of... They do Joy Division t-shirts. Yeah, lots of preteens in Joy Division t-shirts, I've seen. Uh, right, Pennyworld Tea. But actually, just to finish on on the man who sold the world, like absolutely love it. But li- listening back to it now, oh, it, it's it just really sounds like a bit. This is your life, you know. That was a man who just had the world in his oyster. You know, the world was his oyster. The world in his hand. What are you talking about? <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and Truth, sister. Mm. Anyway, Pennyworld Tea. Um, the new throne, obviously. This is the only solo performance by Kurt um, of the show. Apparently, they tried different versions during the rehearsal. They tried it in a different key. Um, and with Pat Smear on the back of vocals, you can't sing very well. <laughs> I find this one a bit painful. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. So yeah, he decides to do it solo. Do you remember, like, he asks the band on stage, am I going to do this by myself? Which seems a little bit forced. And she said no. <laughs> but it's Dave, Grohl, not Bowie, who said, no, do it, do it yourself. And then Kurt has a little joke. He says, it sounds bad, these people are just going to have to wait. Um, so yeah, it's not really... But you don't 
slightly but it's not really, not really that different from the Anitarate version though really it's the same arrangement so like they didn't really do anything massively different they left out the guitar solo I also just don't really like the track oh really sorry oh I'm sorry okay. Anna I'm right. sorry Move on to dumb. Oh, I forgot to tell you that. Have you seen? So going back to uh, Dave Bowie again. Dave Bowie. There are a couple of performances. So there was a pre-Grammys party in 2016 where you've got Chris, Dave, Pat and Beck performing it. And that was like a a tribute to Bowie because he died, I think, just like a month or so before. Um, And then again in January of uh, last year, that same lot teamed up with Beck again um, and also St Vincent and they performed it at like some charity gala event so you can find both of those on YouTube if you are so inclined will do okay done fan not fan excellent okay Too enthusiastic thumbs up right so now we've got Dave Grohl on backing vocals not Pat um, and oh on cello I haven't mentioned the cellist yet so on Inutra you had Kira Shaley um, playing cello on Darm and All Apologies and here we've got Laurie Goldstein Laurie Goldstone I think it is but I think in performance Kurt gets her name wrong when you pronounce it Goldstein unless I'm Kurt Cobain you can pronounce it anywhere you like not really it's her <laughs> name yeah but like you know looking back I'm sure she's like you know what it's not a problem I think I they was were there. mates I was there I yeah. Um, yeah, so a bit about Laurie. She um, was in the, I think, Olympia-based band Earth. She was in the Seattle-based Black Cat Orchestra. Uh, she was in Spectratone International and also did a load of um, solo work. So would you like to hear some of her solo work? Sure. Fast forward. Shall I? Oh, no, that's not. That's Oh. Excuse me, vamp a little bit. Okay, cello. (laughs) Dave Bowie. Dave Bowie. Okay, here we go. So this is Tangled North by Laurie Goldson. And it came out on the Sub Pop 1000 compilation, which was a limited release of 5,000 coloured 12-inch vinyl records. Enhanced by the sound of <laughs> drizzle of Hendrix Luna Gin. Chinny Gin Gin. Which so, tonic uh, do you want? Um, fever Tree or London Essence? I'll, uh, I'll have that Fever Tree. <laughs> Lovely. That is a good sound. So, uh, what do you think of Tangled North? Atmospheric. Isn't it? Yes. Have you had enough of it now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it kicks in in a minute or two, but... Okay, well, a bit more Laurie here. Laurie on Polly. Yay. And again, more Dave on backing vocals. So, fun fact... More shadowing. (laughs) I'm so sorry. That was me reaching for a cheese football. Apologize. Um... So you mentioned, I think, Amanda Palmer and the Dresden Dolls a little while ago. I can't yes. remember in relation to what. Um, but there is a 2011 cover of Polly um, by Amanda Palmer. Oh, it was We Did Music. Oh, well, there you go. Mentioning it along uh, at the end of a long list of like artists that I usually love. Okay. So I checked her out and I love it. Right, well, she is also on this Newer Minds album, the Spin um, production, 
covering covering Polly. So there you go. Ooh, I'd like to check it out if you can find it. Because I, I can't find it. Um, that's all I had to say about Polly. All right. On 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 this, if you want to hear me say a lot more about Polly, you can go back and check out uh, <laughs> yeah, I right. for a Neutero earlier on this. Which series. you should do because it was a corker. Hannah's okay. our official resident Nirvana. I'm going to speed through a few of these now because yeah, anything that adds they really has been covered in either the Nevermind or Neutero episodes. Uh, but yeah, so the on a plane acoustic version are you know, quite uplifting, I think. And the only other really thing to note is that in the second verse, instead of saying my mother died, he changes it to my brother died. But I don't think there's actually any particular relevance there. I don't think either of those things happen to my knowledge. This song transports me to being 13 so hard. It's shocking. Ooh. Oh, that's a strong one. Sorry. Oh, oh, oh I'm very dare you. <laughs> okay. All right. From the great high of on a plane to something. In oh, the I love this. Yeah, and it was originally left out um, of the original airing. This and Oh Me, the Meat Puppets, was left out. But I've put it back in for you. Yay. I love this so beautiful. Really chilling cello on this. Mm. Well done, Laurie. I don't have anything else to say about it again, but let's just listen to it a bit more. Let's ride the melt, bro. Haunting. That's Hannah singing. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> okay. Sorry. We need to move on. Plateau. Right, so let's get to the meat puppets. So tell me, Lily, tell me about your experience with the meat puppets. You are a fan, more of a fan than the Vaselines. Yeah, big time. Aren't you? You prefer the Vaselines, really? Uh... No, I wouldn't say I prefer, no, I don't prefer the Vaselines, but I like them. I, I wouldn't like say I, I wasn't aware of them at the at this time. No, nor was I. It was way too kind of obscure for our poultry British market, well, I, I feel like. The, the point, like, he, like, yeah, they deliberately went out of their way to yeah. big up, you know, small bands that they absolutely loved, you know, either by including them on this or inviting them out to tour or right. covering their songs and stuff. So, yeah, big champions of... Little bands and doing whatever they could to give them a. I think that up. sometimes if you listen to the Meat Puppets, I mean, apart from anything else, you can you can hear big time a kind of a like an influence there. Absolutely. But if the Meat Puppets and the Melvins had a baby, it might it might have been Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> because the Meat Puppets are a very different kind of sounding band. They're almost. They're almost like folk tunes gone electric, you know? There's a, a big 70s, I feel like there's a, yeah. a big 70s vibe there and you can hear like Thin Lizzy in there and Steely Dan and, and those kind of bands, so, which I appreciate. 
Excuse oh, me. Yeah, I'm waiting for your steely Dan episode. <laughs> I wish I could shoe on them in somehow. But yeah, I think it depends on the era of Meat Puppets as, as well, because by this point, they'd already had nine albums out. So I think, mm. and I'm not going to pretend that I've listened to all nine of those. I haven't only listened to track by track. Come on. <laughs> but the earlier stuff was, was Future quite podcast funky. idea. Meat Puppets <laughs> podcast. <laughs> track by track. <laughs> Um, but yeah, all so, the time in the world for that. Uh, so this is from their 1984 album, Meat Puppets 2. So they formed in 1980, Phoenix, Arizona. The original lineup was Kirk Brothers, Kurt Kirkwood on guitar and vocals, and Chris Kirkwood on bass and vocals. Kurt's about with a with a C, and Chris with no H. And they had Derek Bostrom on drums. So yeah, they started off like their early stuff was, was punky and then they got a bit more kind of psychedelic rock, country, like you said, like a melange of, of different styles. Um, but it was after seeing them open for Black Flag in the 80s that Kurt Bain became... Oh, the Black Flag, we should, do Black. We should do Black Flag. Did we not cover them at all? And maybe the... Maybe we've mentioned them, but we haven't the, gone into your, it. Your proto-grunge, maybe. They must have figured out a little bit. No, no, I think we did because they're from... I think I'm from Washington. Stick it on the list. Maryland. Stick it on the list. Um, right, I'm going to play the Meat Puppets version of Plateau now. Okay. So, um, yeah, 1993, they joined Norano on the In Utero tour. Um, and as a result of all the exposure that they got with Nirvana, their 1994 album, Too High to Die, was their most successful release and that was produced by the butthole surfers guitarist paul leary that's a really good album so they broke up twice in 1996 and 2002 and then they reunited in 2006 um and fun fact uk rapper plan b named his album his debut album who needs actions when you got words <laughs> after that line in plateau and then i couldn't find i, I can play you that song if you want to <laughs> but i'm not sure you do uh, but what I would love to play you, but I can't find, is that he sampled the Nirvana collaboration on his 2007 mixtape, Paint It Blacker. Mm. They've got one track called, I think it's called Maiden's Milk. I can't tell you which album it's from, but it sounds like Green Sleeves Goes Electric, you know, like, <laughs> so hyper, kind of folk. I, I love both music anyway, so. for a moment. <laughs> no, I, I have to admit I am not familiar with Plan B's work. Oh, play it. Sorry. Yeah, you, if you oh, no, don't. <laughs> <laughs> play me puppets instead. Okay, um, actually, do you want to hear a little bit of <laughs> What is it? This is the Plan B, Poonie's Actions When You Got Word. Oh, okay. I like Backnover. Is it Backwater? Meat puppets, right? Yeah, That's really good. Come on, come on. It sounds like the script. It does, it is, doesn't it? There you go. You know what? I don't hate it. You know, I like a bit of rap. <laughs> it's too bad, actually. My, my, my kids like it. Uh, right, okay. So back to Meat Puppets and Nirvana. This is the Nirvana version of Omi. Apparently, it's a celebration of fatherhood. Apparently, they wrote it like. Sounds celebratory, doesn't it? Doesn't at all, does it? <laughs> this is how you feel at 4 a.m. Exactly. getting up. You're like, ah. Oh, I'm not sure. Who are you? Like, yeah. person. 
I'm not sure if they'd had kids maybe at this point in their lives and they were just, yeah, shattered and sleep deprived. Um, but yeah. The celebration of the idea of parenthood <laughs> rather than the actual act. Okay, another fun fact. So in 1992, after he'd left the Red Hot Chili Peppers, John Frusciante auditioned for the Meat Puppets. And Chris Kirkwood said that he showed up with his guitar out of its case in barefoot. By this point, the Meat Puppets were on a, a major label. They just got signed. Um, and the Chili Peppers had blown up, he said, to where they were at, and John needed to get out. So John gets to our pad and we started getting ready to play. And I said, do you want to use my tuna? And he said, no, I'll bend it in. It was so far out. Then we jammed, but it didn't come to anything. Maybe he wasn't in the right place and we were a tight little unit, but it just didn't quite happen. Oh, How weird would that have been? Mm, very. Another fan of the Meat Puppets, Lou Barlow. He said, the Meat Puppets are the singularly most influential band on both Dinosaur Jr. and Severo. I kick myself for not ever emphasising this enough. And Jay Maskis said, people thought we were a Meat Puppet for a coffee <laughs> As you can see. You can definitely see that, yeah. Absolutely see it. Also, on newer mind, really need to get a hold of this album, The Meat Puppets covering mm -hmm. Teen Spirit. Ooh. Which I'd love I to play you, but I can't. It's not love to hear that. Does no one put that on YouTube? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I looked on YouTube. I don't know if I looked on YouTube. You carry on. Have I'll a guess. It's not on Spotify. I'll have a look. Uh, another fun fact. Summer 2015, guess who The Meat Puppets toured with? Sorry, what was the date? No, I don't know. Tell Solar me anyway. Soul Asylum. <laughs> no way. They've been so much better than Soul Asylum. Your other fave days. My other fave days. Hang on, who was... I don't know. Is it just around. a double bill kind of situation? I don't know. I don't know. So, would you come and see Soul Asylum with me if the Meat Puppets are supporting? Yes. Okay. 100%. Wow. Right. No Meat Puppets, no Soul Asylum. How about that? <laughs> Do you want to hear a bit of the Meat Puppets version of Amy? Dare I say it, I think I might actually slightly prefer the meat puppets version. Yeah, me too. And this isn't even any of their best work. In my I'm personal not saying the Nirvana version is rubbish, but... No, no. I don't know why. Because it's just something warm about his voice, something friendly about it. That's the only way I can... Although it's not a great one, and it's kind of out of tune a lot. <laughs> that's not... I think that's what you like about it, it has a warmth to yeah. it. Yeah, right. I don't know how to say it other than that. Okay, I think my favourite Nirvana Meat Puppets cover though is this one. Mm. I think I found it. Mm. So Lake of Fire, also of Meat Puppets 2, and it was also a hidden track on Too High to Start. I think it was a different version. I think they then covered, like re-recorded it. And stuck it on that 1994 album. So Kurt Kirkwood, so you can play it out. Oh, yeah, good plan. A treat. Thank you. So Kurt Kirkwood said about this song. Um, I lived with bandmates Chris and Derek, and probably Chris's girlfriend Kelly. They went to a Halloween party, and I was disgruntled because I thought it was nonsense that adults should callously attempt to alter their appearances. 
that we're already sufficiently foul. I was younger then. I just said, talk about man's fall from grace. This is it. So that's what Lake of Fire is about, apparently. Vision of hell. <laughs> but he also described it as being a toss-off and a cartoon. <laughs> so yeah, I love, I love, I love this rendition. It's just so visceral, gut wrenching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's just the way he's like straining and yeah, I don't know. you know, dragging I mean. it out of himself. Yeah, it's like an exaggerated. I mean, I hope it's an exaggerated. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I want to see Hannah's face right now. I can only describe it. See you again. She's really enjoying it. Really Fourth of July, isn't it? We need to video one of our podcasts one day. Absolutely, don't. Just for the air guitaring and the (laughs) miming and. Um. Oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But I'm going to have to forward this. In fact, no. Let's have a little bit of the. Meat Puppets version, just for comparison. Pretty inaccurate. Yeah. It's a pretty accurate rendition there, isn't it? I think there's a clear message coming out of the Unplugged Nirvana album. Which is? Go and buy yourself a Meat Puppets album. <laughs> Hopefully it was exactly what he was going for. So. It is what word, I did uh, after this. Word. Yeah. Although I think I bought um, not the one, not the one that I intended to buy. I must have not looked at the track listing, but I think I bought the uh, "Too High to Die" before uh, I realised that all the stuff that they covered wasn't on there. Apart from that, it's a really good album. Yeah? It is. It is. Um. Okay. Back to interview unplugged. All apologies. Yay! Oh, this is just the firm fan fave, isn't it? Yeah, but at the time, I'm not sure it was because it hadn't actually been released as a single yet at the time. So it knew to come out, but um, MTV began airing the unplugged version uh, soon after the concert was taped um, to coincide with the release of the Inutero single. So I think it was the second mm. single off Inutero. I remember them playing it on MTV all yeah. the time. I don't because I didn't have MTV. Oh, so violins, <laughs> cellos. <laughs> Atmospheric. Cool, <laughs> Um So, Kurt Cobain told MTV in 1993, I don't think All Apologies was the best performance off the Unpunched thing. Um, he thought that they played the song a lot better before, but he'd been too busy touring to come up with a music video for a studio version. But it's such a strong single from that album, so... Yeah. So it was, um, this version was released as a promotional single in February 1994, and it reportedly got more radio airplay than the studio version. That makes sense. And yeah, you can kind of see why. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So there's so much I can say about this, but already said it in Ice and News Train. So we will move on to the final song, Where Did You Sleep Last Night? But you may notice that this isn't the unplugged version, which we will come to, but I'm going to play three versions of this song. So, this is Where Did You Sleep Last Night by Mark Lanigan. Off that album I mentioned before, The Winding Sheet, which came out on Sub Pop in 1990. It was Mark's first solo album. 
lot more stripped down than, than his spring tree stuff. Did you tell me that they wanted Lanigan on the Unplugged show, but the MTV mm, weren't no. having it? No, I don't think so. Oh. Did Mark Lanigan tell you that in your uh, in his biography that I've not read yet? I think. I'm yeah. sure you did. I? Yeah. When you did a new show, I thought you mentioned it. Oh, God. Oh, maybe I did. I don't know. I don't remember that. He, he, or he wanted to cover Lanigan. You had a lot of gin that episode. <laughs> Oh, my remembering it then. <laughs> you absolutely did right. I don't remember. I had to go back and fact check or myself. He was he wanted to cover Lanigan and they said no. Or, oh, I, I know. know. It was from Lanigan. Kurt wanted him uh, wanted to cover him and he wanted him to come and play and Lanigan didn't want to because he felt like it would not be appropriate. Okay, that would make absolute sense. Besties, sort of that would make absolute sense. And if you listen carefully. You will hear that Kurt is on this song. Yeah, I think it was in the book. That would make absolute sense, yeah. Um, we just sing backwards and we and seriously get it. I know, I really it. need to. I really need to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Kurt is here on guitar and vocals and Chris is also on here on bass. And uh, Kurt's on another song as well on that album. Um, he's on Dan and Duck. And that's a great album as well, if you've not heard it. The Winding Sheet. Um, now, of course, this is a traditional song made famous by Lead Belly. So this is the Lead Belly version. So Kurt uh, says during the performance that um, Lead Belly is his favourite performer ever. Favorite performer ever. So Huddy William Ledbetter, born 1888, died 1949, was a folk and blues musician, singer, songwriter, um, famous for playing a 12-string guitar, but also played piano, mandolin, harmonica, violin, and the windjammer. What a voice. Mm. So, um... Yeah, he covered a range of, uh, of subjects, um, various different styles, including gospel, blues, wrote about women, booze, prison life, racism, folk songs about cowboys, sailors, cattle herding, and dancing. Life, in it. <laughs> right, but it was actually in prison that he was discovered in uh, inverted commas, uh, and specifically in Louisiana State Penitentiary by John Lomax. So John Lomax was a folk archivist and in 1993, no, does that make sense? I might have got my ear wrong there. Anyway, John Lomax travelled through the US making recordings of found music and he recorded several of Lead Belly songs and he went to the state governor on his behalf um, and uh, in the end Lead Belly was pardoned. He was in jail for attempted murder. Uh, after <laughs> writing a song for the government. I think that should say 1939, <laughs> Uh, okay, now the Nevada version. What a way to end a show! Love it. 
Sorry, I'm not running out of things to say. I'm just going to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, no. I get it. June 2020, the guitar used by Kurt Bain during this concert was sold at Julian's Auctions for guess how much money? Mm-hmm. Seven million pounds. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to say 17. That would be a really expensive guitar. Okay. That uh, wasn't quite that much. 750,000. Lower, 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 higher, higher, higher. High bill. Pounds or dollars? Dollars, of course. <laughs> what was it? Higher. Six million. US dollars. Yeah, no, I was close. You were close. And I was so kidding. <laughs> Whoa. I know. It was sold to Peter Friedman of Rode Microphones, making it the most expensive guitar ever sold at auction. Actually, in some really. And for those of you interested in guitars... It was a 1959 Martin D18E guitar with D-Armand, Dynasonic and Bartolini 3AV pickups. Yeah, you know that one, don't you? Of course. <laughs> um, that does remind me of that Mike McCready story about how... Which one? I hope I'm getting this right, that his guitar was um, a Les Paul and it was, it was a 59 and, and 59 has been this significant number in his life because that's the guitar he's always played that's what he was playing when he first joined Pearl Jam and, oh. and he's got a tattoo with 59 on it and you know everything he's incorporated around you know this number this is a lucky number is he 59 now? I don't know but he was around some big deal rock star who I actually can't remember who it was which would make the story a lot better but anyway and he took a look at his guitar and he was like that's a 60 <laughs> No shit. <laughs> and I was like, no, it isn't. Is it? <laughs> and it, indeed, it was. Yeah. I want to know who called him out now. Brilliant. Stay Maybe. tuned, guys. We'll uh, definitely post that up on the Instagram because we'll remember. We'll remember to do Thank that, right? Kelly, <laughs> <laughs> My friend. All I know. Oh, this bit. This bit. Oh, how's it? So he goes up an octave, apparently. When it when he when he hits shiver, God, that that's a good one. Oh, so good! It's just howling, and there's a bit in this. Oh, I should have actually had the video playing at the time. But do you remember there's a point that he just suddenly opens his eyes, really suddenly, just those piercing blue eyes. It's just so dramatic, and the band stops. Oh. <laughs> Next bit, after this bit. Pause. He's opening his eyes. <laughs> no, just off this bit and kill himself. Kitchen thing. Oh! Have you seen this a few times? <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah, Hannah, Hannah's a weeping. 
So yeah, he argued with the producers because they wanted an encore after this, and he was absolutely no way because he just felt like he couldn't top really. Yeah, absolutely. Also, just, I do wonder why do they? You know, it's like you're then you're willfully holding back. Yeah, I agree with that totally. In fact, I kind of hate the sort of bullshitness of an encore. To be honest with you, <gasps> so you would love the manic street creatures. They famously don't do encores. For that reason. Nope. Because I wouldn't want them to start. <laughs> Much less Whoa. come back on stage. Bitch! <laughs> My opinion. And anyway. I'm 50% of this podcast, I'm allowed to hate them. <laughs> We're done. There you go. Do you want do you want a round of applause? And good night. Do you want to um uh, yeah, okay. So Lily has Avabit. The so I can't even remember what it was now. Oh, uh, the Meat Puppets version of Smells Like Teen Spirit of Newer Mind, is it? Yeah. Excellent. Well we haven't we haven't tested this. Uh we don't know if that's what's going to happen yeah. when I press this. Oh, there's probably gonna be a rubbish ad, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. But in the meantime no, weirdly enough, there's some strange little people on it. Hold on, I think it's coming. Is that it? Excellent. Yes, here we go. It is. Definitely a low-key version. Okay, so uh, to uh, to round up, um, we can be found on Instagram, Society's Me and Gen X Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at SomaGXP. Oh, sorry. Um, what else can you do, Hannah? You can email uh, us. You can Instagram. So, done in yeah. uh, oh. email. podcast at gmail.com. That's the one. And Anchor FM. You could leave us a voice message if you wanted to. And you can give us a nice review Ooh. on uh, iTunes. Subscribe. Uh, tell your mates. Yeah. Um, thank you. And I'm going to play out, not with the Nirvana Unplugged, but with, I mentioned at the beginning, the, um, you want this. I mentioned at the beginning, the, um, uh, Across the Universe. <coughs> oh, yeah. Seether, um, song that, uh, people have mistaken for being Kurt Bain. This is not it, but this is a Beatles cover it by is. Kurt Bain, which you can find on the Montage of Heck, um, soundtrack. So this is a very early Kurt recording. Enjoy. Right on the stars, the shine.